Welcome to the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Listen and grow as Dell questions the status quo, encourages you to think differently, and empowers you to make a better life. Get ready as Dell challenges core beliefs, seeks the truth, and reveals the roadmap to the lifestyle you really want. And now your host, multi-millionaire, national award-winning investor, CEO and founder of Lifestyles Unlimited, Del Wamsley. Welcome to the Del Wamsley Radio Show, where the hype ends and the help begins. I'm your host, Del Wamsley, and as always, we're working on your financial freedom. Today, my friends, we're going to go to the mailbag and uh, pull out some questions. Always interesting to see what people have on their mind. The first email that I want to approach here comes from... Uh, one of my members, actually, and I'm not giving out the name because I didn't ask uh, for the permission to use their particular name in this uh, on the radio. So I just go ahead and says, my wife is the type B in this equation. And I uh, was here in Houston, Texas online today. Enjoyed listening to your seminar. Uh, we found you a year ago and have been members since January of 23 when we did the financial freedom program with David Fisher up in Dallas. Since that time, we have liquidated all 401k and IRA accounts and are in 17 passive deals, 6,000 doors, $1.25 million invested to date. No single family, no IROs, uh, which is real estate owned by themselves, uh, not leads at this time. Goals cover $10,000 a month expenses, general wealth creation, and move forward towards me retiring in to my W-2, which is $300,000 a year. Uh, wife, it's stay-at-home mom. Uh, we'd like your thoughts on the following. Yes, we were Ramsey people and have our house paid off. It is worth $1.3 million. We're considering selling the house and renting a resident for the next five years to get our two kids through high school. They are preferred members also, ages 14 and 15, uh, and taking the $1.3 million to invest. So um, they want to know whether or not they should invest as an IRO, which is buy your own property, independent real estate owner, or perhaps single family houses, which uh, it's pretty obvious, or maybe become a lead investor. So one of the things that is interesting to me is that they've already purchased all these other properties and they did not give me how much they're already earning in those. What we need to do is a little calculations first. There's two equations to be able to retire. The, the, the main equation is what are the, the two equations, the two main equations are how much are you earning already? And how much of that do you need to, to, to maintain earning? And then how much do you have to invest? Those are the two real questions that come up. In this particular case, the guy says he's earning $300,000 a year. Now, being that he earns three hundred grand a year, he's probably paying taxes in the 30%, 35% bracket. So 60% of that is what he gets to take home, which is $180,000 a year. So, uh, you know, $180,000 a year is what we have to replace. We need to go in and look at what he has. So he's got $1.2 million, right? So, you know, I just did a seminar. And the deal we brought up was, you know, about an 8% cash on cash return. And it was $22,000, bought $69,000 worth of cash flow. Another one had $25,000 invested and it made like 48000 So there's high amounts of, of available captured equity right now in the marketplace for single family because 
of the fact that the interest rates are making it impossible for the average person to buy. So when somebody has a distressed sale and they've got to sell, investors can come in and swoop in and pay, especially if the property's distressed, because someone's trying to get in and going to want to pay the rehab costs because a conventional loan isn't going to cover the rehab costs. So in those cases, we're making those kinds of money. But the cash-on-cash returns are somewhere between 8 and 10%. So we take a look at you know what you should have here or what it's going to take to pick up the amount of money that he needs. Let's talk about that for just a second. Um, 10% of uh, what would give you $180,000 a year, and I believe that would be uh, $1.8 million, I believe, 1.8 times 10% return. Yeah, it's 180000 So he needs about $1.8 million invested. He's already got $1.2 invested, and if he's done a good job with it and the challenge that we have here is that he's invested over the last year into multifamily housing, which is in a situation the last two years people have been paying the highest prices ever known to man. And many of these deals people put in, got into them with adjustable rate mortgages. So if he got stuck in any of that stuff, then their cash flow is next to nothing, if nothing. So they may be stuck behind that. If they weren't stuck behind that, if they bought into traditional deals where they didn't put adjustable rate financing on it, then those deals are earning about anywhere from six, five or six percent because the prices were high. Interest rates are really taking a bite out of things for cash flow type situations. So this guy is making a point. He's saying, we've got this house here that's 1.3 million. Would you move out of it? And go out there and buy real estate with that. And my my answer is absolutely because you have to understand if you were to refinance the house, what happens is you got to pay a mortgage payment. Well, your interest rates on that mortgage are as high as what you might go earn somewhere. So to move out of it, to go buy a rental property, whatever the rent is, that's just what that house costs to live. That's not you know, a interest rate based what you're going to earn on the money. So if you pull the money out and you put the money to work without paying any interest on the money, you're going to earn, you know, say 8% on $1.3 million. He should be retired. Now, what do I mean by retired? Effectively, when you replace your earned income with passive income, you can retire. Secondary question he asks, how should I go about that? Moving $1.3 million into single-family houses is where the challenge is. Right now, we're getting our biggest bang for the buck out of single-family houses. Over the next 6 to 12 months, the reality is, as I've been presenting to you recently, is that some of these properties are going to start falling off into foreclosure because they paid too much and they have these adjustable interest rates that they're not going to be able to pay the mortgage. So there's going to be some stuff that's going to come to market. It's going to come to market. Stuff's already selling 20% below what it was last year. It's probably going to go down as low as 30 and 40% below last year. That's going to be some good buy-in times. And so if he gets involved in some of those good buy-in times, multifamily could be a good thing for him. Now, the beauty of a small apartment complex being an IRO, independent real estate owner, owning one by yourself, is that you have the ability and control to increase the value of that property. You're usually buying something at a steep discount because it's all messed up and then making a large, large capital gain on the deal. These IRO deals can be that and be very large capital gain return deals to uh, a much smaller deal where somebody's just tired of managing the property, and you take it over and you get excited about it, and you spiff it up, and you increase the income, and you, you clean it up, and all the things that make it make more money, and then all of a sudden it's worth more money, a lot more money. That's the amazing thing, is that the, in, the value is based on the income, so the more you increase the income, the more valuable the property is. So I like that ability to what I call forced value. 
You know, you force the value up. That's not available in a house. You buy a house, whatever you buy it as, that's the gain you made, but that's it. Now you wait for inflation to take it higher. But in an apartment complex, man, you get in there and you do some stuff, and that thing starts going up in value rapidly. If you've got enough leverage, that can mean a ton of money for you. So I like that. The downside of that is that you have to do that. You have to operate the property in this particular uh, individual's position. He's got a $300,000 a year job. He's not going to quit his job to go operate a small property. That's not going to work for him. Um, so he's been doing passive deals, right? And he got into passive deals during probably the worst possible time to get into passive deals when the prices were high and the interest rates were super low. And now the prices are coming down and the interest rates are going up. So whatever he's in, it's not an ideal situation, I'm sure. And we're going to have to do some rearrangement of some of the stuff he's in to get him into better situations. He's got enough money to retire. He just got to get it in the right places. So the small one doesn't seem to work for him. He could buy a larger one and become a lead investor. Now you've got the economics of scale working for you. You can hire a management company to run it for you. Uh, you also now earn not only the money you have invested yourself, so whatever the return is on your money, but you also get to take some percentage of everybody else's money for being the person who put the deal together. And so now you have not only your return, but you have part of everybody else's return. And that's where you're going to get the highest bang for your buck. Now, if you're willing to go ahead and be the operations company and be the management company, then you get the management fee also. And that is where these guys are just making a ton of money. Fees. You get paid fees right off the top. So when you you know you own your own, the fees you don't have to pay the fees. So that's one of the reasons you make so much money is because you don't pay those fees. You get to keep them yourself. That's why I make so much money in real estate, uh, as I have my own management company. But when you go in and you become a lead investor, now you set up your own management company. You get to take those fees, and you get your return on investment. And you get some portion of everybody else's, depending on how much you negotiate, where you're at, how good of an investor you are, how much track record you got, so on and so forth. So there it is. There's the, the lineup. In this guy's situation, let's say it was one of two things. One, the stuff he's invested in right now is is hard times because of what's happened. You know, if he's bought in the last year, joined January 23, so he's bought in this year. Um, if he's bought into any of this hard time stuff, then he's probably not making very good returns. If he's bought in with people that didn't go out there and put adjustable rate mortgages on there, he's probably got some kind of return coming in. And that added to what he could get by this $1.3 million he wants to invest, or 1.25, would put him over the top, even as just a passive investor have done correctly. As a lead, he could probably put him over the, put himself over the top right now just with the $1.25 million. Uh, if he did it right, especially with the way deals are coming about and starting to hit the marketplace at these extremely low prices. So there it is. That's what he has the possibility of doing. Second email says, I'm curious to get your thoughts on this thesis. I recently watched an interesting podcast, and the premise was that there is most likely a lot of forced sellers in the Airbnb market because of slowing economy and rising interest rates. It was pointed out that 60% of Airbnb revenue comes from millennials, and also about 40% of all new Airbnbs were in 2020 and on. Student loan payments are starting again, which will reduce millennials' disposable income. As occupancy slows down, it will start to bleed into these Airbnb profits, possibly making them unprofitable. The Airbnb market seems oversaturated as well. 
In addition, I also see some cities like Dallas and New York banning Airbnbs. This is an interesting thesis, could lead to buying opportunities in the future. Uh, the reality is, you're this, whoever wrote this is 100% right, but not well, not into it as aggressively as they should. The B&B movement, which has got hot for a couple of years, is dead. I never got into it. I told people not to get into it because I saw it as a problem right from the very beginning. What you're really doing is you're starting a miniature hotel. And the hotel business is a tough business. And, you know, you're talking about a very volatile business, the hotel business is. And all you are is a miniature hotel. But what you don't understand is by becoming a miniature hotel, you've irritated a lot of people. When we come back, I'll tell you who those people are and what they're going to end up doing to the Airbnb business. We'll be right back with the Del Wamsley Radio Show. Roadmap to creating the lifestyle you really want. Keep listening. The Del Wamsley Radio Show returns in moments. A reminder from Del Wamsley, CEO of Lifestyles Unlimited. Remember this sellers, motivated sellers are found, but deals are made. It's valuable information. Learn how to find those motivated sellers and get the deals done. Join our free online workshop and learn how to retire in five years or less at lifestylesunlimitedworkshop.com. Lifestylesunlimitedworkshop.com. Once again, that's lifestylesunlimitedworkshop.com. You're hearing the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Want more life-changing knowledge? Access our podcast and listen on demand at lifestylesunlimited.com under the radio tab. Now your host, Dell Wamsley. Welcome back to Dell Wamsley Radio Show. As we went to break, we were discussing the Airbnb industry, and an individual sent me an email explaining that he had seen a podcast where they said that the demographics and the changing economic environment was going to make the Airbnb business difficult. And I'm saying to you that the Airbnb business is not only going to be difficult, it might be completely erased because what the Airbnb industry is, is a way to get around being a hotel. It's miniature hotels is what it is. And the people that they're, they really are upset. I had to think of a word I could say on the radio about it. Um, are hotels and they're, they are a big, big, big lobby and they are lobbying very, 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 very hard to get these guys removed. Uh, homeowners associations despise having a hotel right in the middle of their subdivision and they are eliminating them. Uh, then you've got cities. City municipalities make money off of hotel sales taxes and hotel tax is what it's called. And they're not getting any tax. So cities are outlawing these things. They're just going to say, no, this is a dead industry. It's dead before it even grew up to become mature. Uh, if you're in it, I'd sell mine as quick as I could possibly sell it. All right, let's see where we're at here in our next email. Would you buy multifamily between 50 and 100 units? Recently, 60 to 100% vacant I have a property that's 60 to 100% vacant due to bad management. In nice area, 
All units need makeovers, paint, fix the floors, cabinets, appliances. The challenge would be to fix and rent the units to establish cash flow in a timely manner. Have done many four-unit duplexes and houses in similar situation. My friend, I think I've spoken back and forth with you, uh, doctor, something or other here. I'm not going to give your name out over the end, but I want to tell you this. I have to say now that more that I think about it, that this is a very, 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 very large project for someone that's never done more than a duplex or a fourplex. I've done stuff close to this, but not to the extent you're talking. This You're talking about if it needs sheetrock, plumbing. This is a property that's probably got more than 40%, more than 50% of the value in rehab. In almost every situation I've ever seen, says once there's over 40% rehab, you have to upgrade to the new codes. If that's the case and you run into that, it's going to smack you in the head with a baseball bat and you are going to get destroyed. Because once you realize that this thing, and I think you told me it was built in the 60s or something, whatever, if that's the case, unless this thing was built in 2000s, the codes past 2000, the last 23 years, are so much higher than anything before 2000 that your electrical and plumbing codes would put you out of business just fixing that. Then when you have to come back and have inspections, and you're going to have to get permits on everything you do. Whereas if I have an apartment complex and somebody punches a hole in the wall, we fix the wall. The air conditioner doesn't work, we replace the air conditioner. But you get into this level of renovation, and you're going to have to have permits, which means you're going to have to have a plumbing permit, which means you're going to have to use a certified plumber, you know, and that plumber is going to charge you a lot more to do the work than just a regular guy that would come in and fix some plumbing problems. It's not the same. You can get away with a single family house doing some plumbing work. You can get away with doing some electrical work. Something's messed up. But you're talking about 50 to 100 units, which is 60 to 100 units and no, 50 to 100 units. I'm sorry, I misread. 50 to 100 units. And I guess that just means he doesn't want to tell me what the number is so that no one will figure out where it's at. And I understand that you don't want to give away your, your, your possible, you know, steel deal here. But in reality, the more I think about this, I don't have the guts to send somebody that's never done something like that to do that project because I don't think you can evaluate, number one, the total cost of doing it. Number two, I don't think you can evaluate the risk. What is the risk factor in that municipality that they won't let this thing be redone? And if they do, what will it cost? What will they make you put in that you don't have now? And in many cases, you have to come up to ADA regulations, which means you're going to have to have X number of units that are now ADA compliant, meaning wheelchair access. We had a building burn down, eight unit building burn down, and we had to replace it. And when we replaced that building, we had to create unit that was ADA compliant. Now, that's not 50 to 100 units. That's one eight unit building. And they required us to turn one of the units into ADA compliant. And that's expensive to do because we had to build a wheelchair ramp up to the thing. We had to reconfigure the way the thing was set up so you could get a wheelchair up to there, right? So again, interior ADA compliancy is again, different kinds of cabinetry, different access, different door width. All these things come up. If you're not aware of these things and you got to bring somebody in that is, now you're spending money on people that are experts. My friend, as I think about this, I think this is way too challenging for the average person to do. Um, 
especially since your name has a doctor attached to it, Ph.D. I said, well, what is that? Well, that means you're probably not a construction guy if you're a Ph.D. You know, there's no Ph.D. in building construction. There's engineers, uh, but not Ph.D. engineers building buildings like this. They're building skyscrapers. So I don't I don't think this is probably a, a, a good project for someone. I've had deals that were pretty bad that I've done, whether it had been plumbing. The building's been shut down for long periods of time. The plumbing had broken. We had to go in and fix the plumbing. We had to tear everything out because it was all rotted out because, of, you know, the water got to it and stuff. But when I did that particular project, I had a partner with me that had been in the business for 25 years, who had been operating apartment complexes for 25 years, who had done thousands and thousands and thousands of units and um, this construction stuff. He uh, Oh, and his son owned a construction company. So the, the, the total amount of experience between him was immense. The money backing us was unbelievable. We had millions of dollars of backing in the situation. So it was something we did. In fact, when we did it, we did it so well. He was so good at what he did that we brought in $4 million uh, for rehab and carrying costs. Carrying costs means, guess what? While you're vacant, you're not making any money, but you've got bills. You've got all the electrical bills, water bills are all in your name. You've got uh, construction, you've got payroll and staff while you're trying to lease it up, but there's no income. Even as you start to lease it up, that income isn't really income. It's just countering the losses. you got to get to the break-even line in this type of a project. In the project where I had this partner that was really good at what we did, myself really good at sales and marketing for leasing these things up, he took care of all the construction. I took care of the marketing and leasing to end of it along with him. Uh, I didn't really work. I don't work in the project, but I was involved in making sure that our marketing made sense to fill up quick. And uh, we worked together, and we took in $4 million of our partner's money um, to do both the rehab and to have negative carry. Negative carry means you're not making any money while you start this project, and you're not. It did, we didn't break even on this project until about 12 months out, and we weren't full until about 18 months, and we did it quick. How did we do it so quick? It's 320 units, so we had three construction crews on site at all times, and we had a sales team of three or four people that were experts at lease-ups. And so we were able to do this so much quicker than just having one construction company and one sales or two salespeople that we were able to get this thing done in a record time. And we had anticipated spending uh, about $2 million on rehab and $2 million on negative carry, or no, $3 million on rehab and $1 million on negative carry, somewhere all told up to $4 million. We ended up only spending... Uh, Two million eight hundred thousand, and we walked with one million two extra of that four million we brought in. We paid our partners back one point two million dollars we didn't use on the deal, which made the thing just massively profitable, and uh, it was a great deal. So I, I want you to understand that these kinds of deals can be done, and they're very very profitable if you got the right people doing them. But again, it could be a catastrophe for the average person. Next email is a short one. 
It says, uh, I heard that it costs $10,000 to join your program and another 10000 to get in a deal. Uh, what do you suggest I do, you know, with such limited resources? Should I wait uh, or, you know, look for another opportunity to do something else? You know, what should I do? And I, look, the bottom line is you've been misrepresented. Uh, the program costs $740 to join for a lifetime membership. Uh, it's $240 a year to renew that membership. And if you get a special like we had last week, it was only $398 to join. Um, what you should do is get in and, uh, you know, you can get a deal for $10,000. Yes, that's true. You can do that. So you don't need to spend 10000 And by the way, the 10000 is to upgrade to where you have a personal multimillion out multi-millionaire mentor. You do not need a personal multi-millionaire mentor to buy your first deal. Single family house, that is. Um, so you really, you know, that's kind of a misnomer. Somebody had looked into it and probably felt like they needed the personal consultations and the personal consultant. And so they told you what they were looking at for getting started. And for you, you don't have to look at it. Hey, 298 bucks. Get in here. I just spent a weekend, not last weekend, but the weekend before that, teaching, I think it was over 1,000 people, you know, 700 people online, 300 people in the room type of thing, how to change their lives. And I know that many of the people signed up on a special for only $398. So look us up, get in there, get started, learn how to do this stuff. Uh, the next email is similar, but not quite. It says, good afternoon, I'm asking... Dell, I'm asking, what kind of advice do you have for someone that is young, in my early 20s, and that don't have the money to income to reach their first deal? Do you recommend working the real traditional way, as in multiple jobs and save up and go to school or get a good job and save that money and there's any way you can recommend to get there? Hey, the bottom line is this, all right? And this is true for every young person out there. Work is your friend until it's not. If you're working to earn money, that's a good thing. That's cash flow. That's what we need to live. And work is your friend. Now, when you get stuck in a job, you elevate your cost of living. You get crammed into the life that you can't get out of because if you leave your job, your whole world craters, that's not good. So what do you do? You go out there and get started on that job. Do you need a college education? I don't have it. And a very high number of people I know that are multimillionaires don't have a college education. I took a couple years of college just because my dad thought that would work. I went there and saw that it had no relevance to what successful people were doing. But if you're going to be a doctor or a lawyer or whatever, then you want to get college. But I would recommend this to you. Many of the multimillionaire kids we have in our group that are you know, under 30 and already own businesses, they don't start with college. They start with the business. They take the money, whatever they can save, whatever their parents would have invested in college, and they use it. I remember I borrowed $20,000 to start my business from my mother-in-law, my wife's mother at the time. She lent me the 20000 bucks. I started my business, and I paid her back. Right. So there's going to be somebody out there, if you're a young person, there should be somebody out there in your life that's willing to stake you, to help you out. You need to put some of your own money in there, get some of your own skin in the game to prove to them you care. So save up, work, save a little bit and start looking for someone to stake you in this situation. The most important thing you need to do is get in here. 
just like I said, there's memberships for $298 or whatever I saw this special was. Get in here and understand what we're doing. Learn how business really works. Learn how wealthy people become wealthy. You need the insight, the information. People spend tens of thousands of dollars, even hundreds of thousands, to send their kids to school. You don't need to do that. You don't have to go through all that. You need to get out here and learn how to make money. Once you learn how to make money, you start making money and you become successful. If you want to go back to college, if you think education means that much, well, then invest in education at that point, but not until you retire. The rest of you out there, remember this, not the money. This is Lifestyle. Have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow. Listening to the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Want more of Dell's unconventional wisdom? Go to lifestylesunlimited.com and click the radio tab. Listen to past shows, hear podcasts on demand, and find out how you can change your life today. The Dell Wamsley Radio Show is part of the Lifestyles Unlimited Radio Network. The information and opinions you hear on the Del Wamsley Radio Show are those of the host, Del Wamsley, his guests, and his callers, and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of this station, its affiliates, its management, or advertisers. The Del Wamsley Show is for entertainment purposes only. Please consult a professional regarding your personal investment needs. Nothing presented on the Del Wamsley Show constitutes an endorsement, recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any product or security.